we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. And in the first service, I, uh, you know, I pointed out that our congregation is made up of glass half empty people, and then there's glass half full people. And then most of you actually double dip back and forth depending on your mood or the circumstances. So all you glass half empty people, I'm going to be talking about Thanksgiving. So you're saying to yourself, or snickering, saying, well, I'll be thankful when this thing's over. Because I'm not too thrilled about Thanksgiving messages. And then you guys that are half full, there'll be points in this message where you, you, know, you want to be using the elbow action, the I told you so thing, and you'll be working on somebody's ribs. So take it easy, but we're going to have a little fun on Thanksgiving. But I'm going to start in the scriptures in uh, the book of Philippians. I, I've described before, but uh, Philippi was the first European city visited by an apostle with the gospel. Um, and the way it came about, Paul went to Philippi, and um, it is actually in Macedonia. It was the chief city in Macedonia. In Macedonia, when you're speaking Macedonia, you're speaking Greece. And so this was a major country that was conquered and became part of Rome. And uh, uh, the city of Philippi was founded about 400 years before Paul arrived there by the father of Alexander the Great. And they founded at that city. I'm telling you the reason, this for a reason. They founded the city there because they wanted to take control of gold mines that were right there in the neighborhood. And they also wanted to establish a military uh, force there because of an important pass uh, that needed to be protected. So the whole point is this city was not your average city. It was rich. It was powerful. Uh, it had, uh, aside from just a colony where they stuck a few people to, you know, raise up some civilization. Now, this city was a major powerhouse and a crucial uh, city for the, the uh, empire of Rome. So when Paul walks into this place, he, is, uh, he gets there by a divine vision. For all of you guys that have had trouble discerning the will of God, you're in very high-class company. The Apostle Paul, just before he got the vision called the Macedonian or the Greek vision, um, twice he wanted to go to Asia, and he had it in his mind, this is where I need to go, I'm going to go. And he actually did go one time, and the Holy Spirit literally stopped him in his tracks and said, I forbid you, do not go to Asia. He tried again. He actually went into Bithynia, or, or, uh, it's, a, it's my Asia. He actually went there and once again was told not to do it. So finally, in a time of prayer, he receives the Macedonian vision. It's not for Asia. For the first time, he's led to go to Europe, into what we now know as Greece. So he goes to Philippi, and he's accompanied by three people. On the way, we're introduced to a young man named Timothy, who is half Greek, half Jew. And so he's raised him up as his, that's the beginning of his discipleship under Paul. Along with him, he takes a new guy named Silas a faithful follower of the Lord, and so he's with him. And we also have kind of the invisible narrator who's named Luke. You're familiar with the name Luke. And Luke is giving us all the details that a trained scientific observer of that day would give us. So that's why we have so many details about this. And some of those details come into play about this message about Thanksgiving. So Paul goes into Philippi, and he does what, what Jews do in cities that have a very small population of Jews or in places where they need to lay low. 
they didn't have a synagogue. They didn't have official building they built for Jewish worship. They had a place that usually was open air, that was some kind of structure, and, uh, but it would be called a house or a place of prayer. So they went down by the riverside, outside the city, on the other side of the track, so to speak, uh, to find a place where the Jews would gather to worship in the Jewish tradition. And he goes down there, and he makes his first convert, a woman named Lydia. And she and her whole household come to the Lord, and they convince Paul and his party to come stay at her home. Everything looks good. So after it's settled, they know where they're going to stay. They're traveling together to go back to this place of prayer in the river. And all of a sudden, a lady starts following them who is, um, who is possessed of a spirit or is basically is a necromancer or someone who tells the future. And she starts shouting in a loud voice, um, these people, these men serve the Most High God. Listen to what he has to say. And she's shouting it, and she's following them for a long period of time. And it sounds like it's a good thing, right? Well, it isn't, because sometimes people say the right things, but the spirit behind it is anything but helpful. And that's what was going on. Now, this lady was known throughout the city of Philippi because she made a lot of money for her master. She was a slave. She had owners, plural, according to the scriptures. And uh, Paul got irritated, and so he just turned around, rebuked the spirit, and commanded to leave and set her free. That's great, except that the owners were now deprived of a very profitable business investment, and they took it personally. And so the, the things that they begin to do, we're going to uh, start reading. I'm going to read from the New American Standard. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 20. And when they had brought them... I'm just going to start verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. That means they physically grabbed him in a citizen's arrest and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. In cities, uh, especially at that era, whether it was, they still do this throughout Asia, but in, in Europe at that time too, the marketplace was where everything happened. Many times you actually had magistrates or officials who basically operated as judges in any situation, business or otherwise, the magistrates often had seats that would be seated right there and any major thing would come for them. They would witness business transactions. They would deal with, with legal issues right then. So they dragged them to the market, the most public place in this large, powerful city. And they took them to the magistrates, the people in authority. And this is what happened. They said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. It's the reason this is important, being Jews. And they are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. This is important because I'm building up the importance of the role of thanksgiving. What had happened was... About that same time, the Jews have been accused of all kinds of things in both Jerusalem and in Rome, and it had political repercussions. They were the dogs of the day. And what you do, if you wanted to get people mad without thinking, if you wanted to have a kangaroo court with no justice, appeal to emotions. It goes on in our media every day, on every subject. On every side, everybody has an opinion, very few of them based in fact or evidence. And what these guys are doing, they're saying, well, you see this phrase, being a Jew? 
Well, you go down a little bit, then in some of their other talk, they'll talk about us being Romans in contrast to these guys being Jews. So they're pulling the race card, the religion card, the political card, and the news of the day. And what they're doing is, and we'll just go into it, the crowd rose up together against them. Mob think, crowd thinks going on. It happens in America every day through the news cycle. It happens all around the world. And the chief magistrates, they get into it. They tore the robes off of Paul and Silas. And they proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Because this was a high-level Roman colony, they followed Roman protocol. So when they say beaten with rods, we're not talking about a little bitty dowel stick. These guys use metal rods. And they beat them with rods. The Roman style literally was to raise their feet up and beat the soles of their feet bloody, usually breaking a number of bones while they're at it. And then they start working on down the body. So this was no small little beating. They were beating them to cripple and maim them. And this happened to Paul many times in his life. I think the enemy is trying to limit his ability to walk, spread the gospel, whatever. But the Lord obviously caused this guy to get up and walk away from stonings, being boiled in oil, countless things. This is one of those times. These guys were really wounded. They were beat. And then they ordered them, uh, gave them to the jailer at the garrison, the military jail, and told them to keep them safe. In other words, so they couldn't escape, not to protect them from the crowd. Anyway, um, again, this being a large colony and a military colony, they didn't have some little hole in the wall. This was a, a fairly large jail that was probably built on more or less a Roman style. So when they say inner prison, they mean inner and lower prison. They had levels of rooms and they had the worst of the worst, the slimiest, dirtiest, darkest, coldest, worst, most rat infested, wherever. That's where they put the really bad guys, the dangerous ones and the ones they hated the most. So this jailer went beyond what he was ordered and he chose to put them in the inner room, the dungeon. And that's where these guys were. Enter praise. Verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise. We're not told this, but most likely, since they didn't have the epistles and they didn't have all that stuff yet, they were probably singing hymns of praise from the Psalms of David, the great psalmist of Israel. And I love what it says. And the prisoners were listening to them. These guys did something that's counterintuitive. We don't do this naturally. When the stuff hits the fan, usually we're saying other things than, praise God, thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for this. When everything gets crummy, uh, usually we go right along with the flow. And God has a better way for us, but we kind of need His help to pull it off. Suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison of the house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Um, we'll find even in a scientific study, when you develop an attitude of thankfulness, it tends to spread. Even scientifically, they have found that out. If you have developed gratitude and you actually expose that to other people, it begins to spread, whether they even want it to or not. It has a power to change atmospheres, circumstances, and conditions. Hallelujah. 
And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because if in, in the Roman, throughout the Roman area, every area ruled by the Romans, if you were a jailer, whether it was a big jail or a small jail, didn't matter. If you fell asleep and prisoners escaped, instant death sentence. But usually done the Roman way. That could qualify you, unless you're a Roman citizen, could qualify you for crucifixion. Uh, and it, either way, it wouldn't be a painless death. It would be bad news. So this guy figured, he is, if i got to die, I'm going to take myself out and do it quickly. But Paul interrupted him and shouted to him and said, we're not going anywhere. Not a single prisoner left that prison, although they were all set free. I think because they had been listening and were under the influence of the Spirit of God. Anyway, Paul calmed him down. We're told that the jailer gives his life to the Lord. His whole family comes to the Lord. They're baptized that night. And then the jailer takes him out of the jail, takes him to his house, tends to his wounds, and returns him. Uh, powerful story. Our focus is on thanksgiving. Uh, science has begun to uh, find this. I'm going to share some of this. Uh, in a magazine called uh, Neuroimage in 2016, Indiana University published uh, Indiana University published a brain scanning study. This wasn't just you know surveys and observing people through a peephole and how they act or something. Um, here they actually scanned brains while people did various activities to see what lights up throughout the brain, what portions of the brain are done, what secretions are released at the time. So as best they could, they're trying to be, do a scientific study. So what they did is they limited the study to people who were undergoing counseling for depression or anxiety. Those were the only people. I would, it was probably safe to, be, to say that these guys in this study were not your cup half full people. They're probably the cup half empty people. Life is pretty lousy for them right now. They're dealing with real problems and it's beginning to affect their lives so much that they're seeking professional counseling and even gone so far to, to even participate in this study to see if maybe something would make a difference. So what they did is they asked half of the people to invest 20 minutes of time three times a day writing letters of gratitude to anybody. Whether they sent them or not wasn't even important. They just asked, just spend 20 minutes saying thank you to somebody for something. Do it three times a day, total of one hour a day for one week. That's it. And the other half, they, they didn't do that with the people. They just, uh, uh, after that, throughout that week, they would go through their regular counseling. All of the people in the study got the usual counseling. Half of them agreed to do this thankfulness therapy. Well, two weeks after the week-long thing, two weeks later, they found out the people who actually wrote those thank you notes, who were dealing with depression or anxiety or both, they still were thankful. They, were more, they still felt a thankfulness about their life. Something had changed even two weeks later. They bring them in uh, months later, a continue the brain scanning. Each thing was verified with brain scans because they checked the dopamine centers, the serotonin centers. They wouldn't see what was happening. And what they found was months later, the people who had gone through that thankfulness therapy just... 20 minutes, three times a day, saying thank you for something. They were still more thankful. 
It, it, it shocked them. They couldn't believe the gratitude-related brain activity in these people. And it was nowhere to be seen in the people who hadn't gone through that. So that's the beginning of one study. Basically, they found that your brain has a sort of gratitude muscle. If you exercise it, it gets stronger. And they also found that it would affect the lives of others. Those are those two quick findings from that. Uh, a guy named Alex Korb is a UCLA neuroscientist. Um, he's actually become pretty famous. In 2012, he published a book about some of his postdoctorate findings. But he cites four studies that show how gratitude can, among other things, help you exercise more, sleep better, and be happier. Hey, for those guys who are a little anxious right now, I'm going to get back to the Word of God, okay? But I thought it's kind of interesting that science is even finding something that the Word has been telling us for thousands and thousands of years. Doesn't hurt. I like to bring both sides in. Never be afraid of science. Anyway, they found that uh, people who did a weekly gratitude journal, guys, I know this freaks you out, but, you know, it doesn't have to be like a novel. Just make a note. Hey, God, thank you. I'm not dead today. You know, start somewhere. Consider the alternative. So uh, they found that when they did that, they were more optimistic. They were able to change their behavior in key areas. They enjoyed improved exercise patterns, and they saw a reduction in physical ailments. It's pretty interesting. It's from a secular study. He also cited Christian, I mean Christian, Chinese researchers found in 2012 that higher levels of gratitude were associated with better sleep and with lower anxiety and depression. Um, then a study by the National Institutes of Health found that subjects who showed more gratitude overall had higher levels of activity in the hypothalamus. So what does that mean? Well, the hypothalamus is the part of our body that major, has major control of our eating, our drinking, and our sleeping patterns. It also has a huge influence on your metabolism, how you handle and convert energy in your body, and on stress levels. So, now, I thought that was great. This, this Corb guy is really good. I especially impressed because along with his Ph.D. and all of his studies, he was the uh, uh, former coach of the UCLA Golden Women's com Competitive Frisbee team. I thought that actually would make this even better. It made me kind of grin, made me more thankful. You know, I thought, well, maybe someday I, I can throw a Frisbee and actually go somewhere with it. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk to you about thankfulness. Sometimes one of the best things to talk about is how thankfulness has actually played an active role. We've got to get it past that passive look. Uh, thankfulness suffers from the same disease that the word prayer does. It seems so passive, so weak, so wimpy. And never, this stuff's useless. I mean, I want to get out there and do something, change this. I've I got to change these circumstances. Prayer is anything but passive. And thankfulness is anything but passive. I want to show you the power of it. In our lives as parents, any of you who are parents or grandparents have anything to do with raising kids, uh, prayer is a major part of your life or should be. Uh, there are so many things you have no control over, like everything. And uh, so you really have to pray, especially as they get older. And uh, uh, we prayed often and usually... We prayed most of our prayers of thankfulness when evidence pointed to the other direction. And when we prayed for our kids, we prayed over the promises of God over them. We prayed over prophecies that may have been 
given over our kids. And again, that's where we often saw the evidence of their lives seem to be going in the exact opposite direction of everything we were praying for, asking for, believing for. Let's, it takes faith to be a parent today. It really does. So we had to learn how to pray prayers of thanksgiveness, uh, thanksgiving. Our oldest child is Vanessa, and we had to pray for her for many years while she was a single unmarried mother away from God. And there was just so many things that seemed to be out of our control and at times a long distance away. And we really loved Vanessa and we loved the grandkids. But we had to give this thing over to prayer. We began at an early time when we were on it and we weren't always on it. Sometimes we didn't feel like giving Thanksgiving. We wanted to do something else. But we'd ultimately get back there and we would thank God for that thing we were praying for and believing for before it happened. And we watched Vanessa's life turn around. Was she perfect? No. But we saw her life turn. We saw her come back to the Lord. We saw her become one of the best mothers we've seen, do a fantastic job of raising three kids to adulthood and to college age. And we're just very thankful for God's faithfulness. Um, we prayed over your pastor, Devin, a lot, often, many times, hard. <laughs> we won't go into all that. We have, we have years, by God's grace, to tell you stories about him. He'll tell you some of his own stories. But one of the hardest things uh, for him, he had a real uh, touch of God uh, early in his teen years, just a powerful move, and he'll probably share some of that someday. But he took a hit when... He watched his younger brother. At that time, it was just Sean uh, with him. And uh, when Sean was diagnosed, first of all, with really severe epilepsy, he'd have 100 seizures a day, and they would just break your heart watching him. And then uh, autism, when that masked the autism that was at work the entire time, and then au the autism hit, and we found out about it. And we went through about three years of heartache and struggle as a family. It was very difficult. And uh, Devin had a lot of faith, and he loved the Lord, very close relationship with the Lord. It was just natural, like breathing for him. But as he began to pray for Sean, that was his first experience at a young age, both as a Christian and as a young man, of having of hitting his head against a brick wall and not seeing answers to prayer. And that happens. It happens as a Christian. Sometimes we need to acknowledge that and not pretend that everything's just so perfect, you know. It isn't. Life is a struggle. Faith, the walk of faith, is a difficult walk. And many times you have to have long-form faith and trust God over many years and over much time. Well, this whole process was difficult for Devin, <clears throat> watching his brother suffer. And along with that hit, then about 2000, year 2000, you know, I told him that we really felt led after prayer that we were supposed to come to Arkansas. He wasn't too thrilled. We were ripping out of high school. He finally made the big time, you know, and he was an athlete and he was recognized and he had begun as an outsider and worked us all the way in to be accepted. And we jerked him out to Alma where he is once again part of the outsider club. Isn't that wonderful? And so he wasn't really thrilled for a long time. But so we had many things to pray about. We watched God work many miracles. We're thankful for that. And then finally, Ian, our youngest, Things were going great. He was the glass half full guy, you know, happy-go-lucky, everything, and until the day he really felt called to join the military. <clears throat> At that point, his mother had some serious discussions with the Lord and had to step into Thanksgiving reluctantly. 
But we once again had to turn our children over to the Lord and trust Him. So those are some of our stories uh, that I wanted to share with you. I'm going to look at one note before I move on. These phones here. I almost have to bring somebody younger to uh, tell me about it. Uh, we face usual financial stuff that you have and, and, you know, relational and stuff like that. But the medical crisis, the two of them that are big, one was I spent the night before my uh, heart surgery, open heart surgery, just praying the Psalms of David. I spent times in the Psalms worshiping and thanking God because I did not know how things were going to turn out. Nobody does. You can be perfectly healthy and go in for, you know, surgery on a toe and have serious things happen. We have to trust God. I'm thankful for medical science, but every good doctor, every good nurse, every good technician and scientist will, who recognizes God will tell you the real healer is God. He gives us things to come alongside to help, to assist, to stop certain infections, to repair structural damage. But when it boils down to it, some patients live and some patients die and they don't understand. You do the same exact procedure and you don't know. The ones that look weak, they pull through. And ones that look strong, they drop on you. You don't know what's going on. You do the best you can. Well, as believers, I'm telling you, Thanksgiving is important. Whether you're one watching or the one that's about ready to go under a knife, you need to understand the power of thanksgiving and enter into it. One, one last story I'll tell you about. Uh, we do, I noticed the words to a song that we just sang this morning. You caused your sun to, to shine on darkest nights. Some of the more humorous things you get when you're dealing with autism is... Uh, when Sean, Sean did not um, actually reach that pinnacle of potty training until he was six, eight, eight, yeah, eight years old. So imagine that. So uh, as a result, during probably the most difficult time, we were just starting a new company. I was writing, and, and I remember <clears throat> working on deadlines for Thomas Nelson until about one in the morning, and at two in the morning, I would hear Sean singing, and he had this certain sound. And I said, uh-oh, he's too happy. And I'd go in, and he'd be painting on the walls, but it wasn't Crayola. <laughs> Favorite colors were in the brown tones. So <clears throat> at 2 in the morning, I'd be scrubbing the walls. And this wasn't just basic scrubbing. This was disinfecting. This was hazmat stuff. So the hazmat crew, me, would get up at 2 in the morning, and I'd be scrubbing the walls and the bed and whatever else was in the way. Um, and I would usually start because, you know, you're dead tired. You've worked all the way up to 1, you get one hour of sleep up there doing your hazmat duty. And I would start uh, praising God in tears of frustration. And then it would turn to tears of joy. And then Sean would always join in with it was just a wild time, but I discovered the power of praise because if I allowed frustration to take me over, I wouldn't have survived because this went on for years, you guys. By the age of eight, he finally reached the pinnacle, and we experienced Thanksgiving as a family. We all ran out. <laughs> we lived on a street leading to a major college in the uh, University of Pennsylvania system. I mean, we were just a few blocks away, lots of traffic. Well, we all went out as a family. We're jumping up and down in the front yard saying, he pooped, he pooped, he pooped. <laughs> yeah, 
Thanksgiving as a family, it'll change you. But that, that life got a lot easier at that point. Praise God for that. Anyway, uh, you really learn how to praise God in the difficult times. It's easy. I, I really want to praise him when we have wonderful breakthroughs, and we have many of those countless ones. We need to learn how to stand in hard times. So, you know, some of you are, uh, you know, you feel imprisoned by your job imprisoned by addiction. You may be chained to a deadly diagnosis that there never seems any hope, uh, beaten by yesterday's failure. Some of you guys beat yourself or you beat other people because of failures that happened yesterday or even further back. We all do that. There's a certain comfort to it. But God does want us, as we allow him, to come through. As I've shared with you before, that when Julie was dealing with Sean's diagnosis, she didn't get better overnight. It didn't happen in one month. It didn't happen in six months. It didn't happen in a year. It took her three years to get back on her feet in her heart where she lives. And she knew the Word. She's a, a faith woman. She stands on the Word of God, but that hurts so hard. It hurts so bad. And I learned that she processed things different from me. She had to go through all the emotions of a mother. She had given birth to Sean. I just watched. So when it, she hurt, it hurt. I mean, guys, I'll tell you right now, you need to give your wives more space. They're not emotionally weak. They're emotionally rich. And so when they have to wade through all of the stuff when something happens to children or marriage relationship or, or family, Give them space. Don't expect them to handle things like you do. They handle it just as skillfully. I found out Julie went through much work and a lot longer than me, but it was just as legitimate in God's eyes as my way. But it took her three years to get back on her feet, and I had to just give her space. I wanted it to be quicker, but you know what? It wasn't in my hands. It was in God's hands and in His hands alone. My job was to support her and love her through it. Um, I just want to encourage you to bring out the big guns of thankfulness and, and just a few last tips here and we're going to end. Develop a thankful life marked by a pattern of thanksgiving. You, you find out if you start small, your mind, even your brain will say, I like that, give me more. The dopamine will be released just in the natural side. In the spirit side, you have the Holy Spirit working in you. Number two, allow every promise of God to become a launching pad for thankfulness. You know, Romans 8, 37, I thank you, Lord, that like Paul, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. Philippians 4, 13, I thank you that you are teaching me how to be content so I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's how you take a promise and turn it into thanksgiving. Thirdly, thank your way into the presence of God. You guys are all familiar with Psalm 104. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So, I want to end this way. I want to pray this over you. Colossians 1, 10 through 12. Father, we thank you that you're teaching us how to live well for you. You're making, uh, teaching us how to make you proud of us as we work hard in your orchard. As we learn more and more how you work, thank you for teaching us, helping us learn how to do our work. Thank you, Father, that you're giving us the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting our teeth, but the glory strength that you give. It's the strength that endures the undurable. 
and spills over into joy. We thank you, Father, for making us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that you have for us. You guys can stand.